Thanks for tuning in to the Bethany Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message helps you grow in your faith with Christ. If you'd like to find out more about what's going on at Bethany or GIF, you can visit us online at bethanysite.com or download our mobile app. Hello, Bethany. It's so good to see everyone, and if you're tuning in online, we just want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 2 Kings, this is in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're in this uh, study about uh, Old Testament rescues, and uh, the one we're going to be looking at uh, today is uh, the idea of rescue from debt, rescue from debt. As you're turning there, just wanted to let you know that we have our growth track um, on Sunday. Uh, it's after the second service, so it starts at about 11.30, and uh, uh, it really touches our mission, Bethany's mission, our purpose, and then talks about the most important thing, and I get to share a lot of the things that we really believe in, but the most important is having a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, we'll talk about baptism, and we'll talk about you know our, our church history, and, and we'll touch those things, but we really would love to have a ton of people go to that, and it's free, and we provide a free lunch and also child care. So if you want to do that, we'd love to have you come to that. If you're watching online, we'd love to have you come at 11.30 on uh, Sunday, October 16th. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention, uh, I just think it's our civic duty as Christians and as pre-Christians is to, to vote. Uh, I, I won't tell you which way to vote. We're not going to hand you a pamphlet that tells you, you know, to vote left or right or Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or Green or any of those things. But uh, we, we want you to know the general election is coming up and we'd love for you to register and vote. We just think that uh, people who um, have a civic duty and especially Christians who are guided by the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, will be able to uh, vote uh, with their conscience and vote uh, really what's best for our country. So please plan on doing that. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, this question, uh, trying to answer this question today. What do you do when you are in drowning debt? And I don't know how many are in drowning debt. I, I use the term drowning debt because it, you know, kind of alliterated and it sounds really cool. And uh, drowning in debt is like one of the worst things that you can go through. And so this story talks about uh, this widow that's in terrible debt and then how God helps her out of it. So uh, let me read to you verses 1 through 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord Yahweh, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. And they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. 
Uh, I love this story. Elisha uh, is this prophet that follows uh, his mentor, Elijah. Elijah does a very similar uh, miracle, and Elisha asked uh, if he could have a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And so we see Elisha doing many of the miracles very similar to Elijah. And uh, it's really just kind of a, an awesome uh, thing to see him do this. And I love this miracle. I love this story. And uh, I want you to know, um, you can follow along in the sermon on our sermon app. You can go on the, and download the app and then see the sermon notes. Uh, so I, I just want to tell the story. I just read the story. I'm going to tell you the story, and then I'm going to go uh, line by line, just pull out some lessons from it. So uh, Elisha is this prophet. Uh, when I think of a prophet back then, or Elijah or Elisha, I always think of them wearing a cloak and having a staff and looking very much like uh, the first uh, Star Wars movie in 1977, Obi-Wan Kenobi. So that's that kind of guy, you know, walking through the desert, doing miracles, doing great stuff. And then during this time, uh, there's three schools, three cities in Israel, three schools of prophets. And they're training these uh, prophets. And uh, this widow, her husband was one of the prophets, one of the ones at the school. And uh, her husband dies and he owes. We don't know what the debt was. We don't know if he had borrowed um, seed to plant his crops and he had a bad, he had failure with his crops. Or if he had borrowed on his um, uh, uh, living or tried to expand his business. We have no idea how he got into debt. We just know that he got into debt. And back then, one of the ways that you paid your debt is that you could sell or you could have your sons or your children taken to be indentured slaves. Now, according to Mosaic Law, the first five books of the Bible for Israel, uh, there's something called Jubilee that every seven years there would be this a release of debt. So if you were taken into debt, you know, on the seventh year, you would be released. But they didn't always follow that. And this is really a tragic thing. She's going to have her kids taken away from her. And I don't know if these, um, if these uh, two kids were, these two boys were like seven years old and nine years old or 10 years old and 12 years old, or if they were teenagers, like 13 and 15 or 15 and 17, you know, but uh, having seven years taken away from them would be really horrible for this, for this uh, widow. And I want you to know, even today, and someone who is widowed or someone who goes through the divorce, uh, uh, widows and divorcees, you know, that's the fastest way to poverty in, in America. And so it was back then the same way. And so she cries out to the prophet, and it's just this terrible tragedy. And she says, my husband is dead. You know he revered the Lord. He was in your school. He was following God. And this terrible thing has happened. He's died, and now his creditor is coming to enslave my two sons. You've got to help me. And I, I just love that. She cries out to God. She cries out uh, to the prophet. And then Elisha says, well, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have? And she says, I don't have anything. And she's desperate. I don't have anything. I'm poor. I don't have anything. And then she remembers she has a small jar of olive oil, which isn't a lot. But an olive oil, you know, is what they cooked with and what they uh, had for uh, lamp oil, you know, so they could have light at night. And so she says, I have a small jar of olive oil. And so Elisha says, okay, now here's specific instructions. Go around to your neighbors, get all the olive oil jars, empty ones that you can get, borrow as many as you can, uh, and then go and go inside, shut the door, 
and uh, uh, this miracle is going to take place. Uh, the most interesting thing is sending, I always imagine, you know, sending your sons out to go collect ones. You could just see them if they were teenagers. Oh, do we have to? You know, do we have to go? You know, if they're my kids, you know, I, I used to make them go with me when we were up in Bellingham, go out and hand out flyers, you know. And they hated that, especially my one shy one's like, Dad, no, you know. And now I look back, you know, go to apartments and put uh, flyers on the doors. And, and nowadays, you know, you just think you would never have your kids go out and do that. Um, but I did. So anyway, uh, you could just see them saying, you know, um, what, you know, uh, what are we doing? And, or maybe they were real compliant. Maybe they're the greatest kids in the world. And they go out and they borrow as many. And you could see the work going to neighbor after neighbor after neighbor and, and borrowing, you know, these, these oil jars and coming back in. And I don't know if she got 10 of them or 20 of them or 50 of them or 100 of them. But they got as many as they could. And then they closed the door. And then she started with this small... Uh, oil, and when he's small, it's probably probably about this tall, and probably slender at the top, and it'll be rounder at the bottom, and then started pouring it, and it didn't stop, so she had the boys bringing it, and they just kept filling it and filling it, and you know, it gets kind of messy, you probably didn't want to stop, because if you stop, maybe it would stop, so you just keep going, and the next kid would put it there, next kid, there probably was a pool of oil, and their hands got all oily, and their clothes probably got all oily, and if they had sandals, their sandals probably got oil on them, but you know, they kept filling it, and filling it, you know, and just, you, you just... You can't even imagine the joy that they would feel and how exciting it would be. And, and they would just keep pouring it. And then when you know, they came to the last one, she said, bring me another one. He says, that's it, Mom. That's all we have. You know that that's the end of it. And it stops pouring oil. And just just my opinion. But if they really knew, I mean, if those kids really knew and that mom really knew that this was going to go, I wonder if they would have gotten even more jars. They would have gotten even more jars. Now, maybe they got as many as they could, but you can imagine when God starts blessing, you know, what could we have done more? So then she goes to Elisha and she tells him, you know, we have these these jars all filled with oil. And he says, go sell them and then pay off your debt and then live on the rest. So now let me give you, um, uh, according to the notes, uh, This is, uh, debt is a cruel master. Just look at verse 1. The wife of the man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, Yahweh. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. And I want you to know that, that debt is a cruel master. I don't know if you've ever been in debt. I don't know if you've ever been drowning in debt. I know that uh, in our culture, people a lot of times get in debt. Uh, there's tons of people that have creditors that are after them. Uh, uh, our, our, our culture seems to thrive on debt. We have a, a, a debt. Uh, it always leaves my head, so I wrote it down here. The U.S. published national debt right now is $31 trillion plus. Um, uh, 64 million people in, in our country have reported collections in their uh, credit report. Uh, consumer debt right now is at $16.5 trillion. Now, I got these off the Internet, so I don't know if you can trust that at all, okay? So uh, anything I get off the Internet now, I go, Ugh, is that really, really true? So um, I want you to know that people, people are in debt and people are struggling with debt. So I want to help people get out of debt. And I want you to know that debt is a cruel master. And if you have creditors coming after you, it can be just absolutely your life becomes terrible. And if you 
are in drowning debt, it is like slavery. Debt can become slavery. So what do you do when you're drowning in debt? That's the question I want to answer. And another way of saying it is, how do you get out of drowning debt? How many would like to know how to get out of drowning debt or want to know it so that you can help someone else get out of drowning debt? How many would like to know that? Okay, three people. That is wonderful. So this message is not really for the rest of you, but you just have to listen to this. So here's how you get out of debt. So uh, look back at chapter uh, 4, verse 1. Uh, notice she cries out to Elisha. She cries out to the man of God. And uh, it's the most interesting thing. The first thing you do that when you're in drowning debt, when you really are in debt, you cry out to God. You cry out to God and you cry out for help. I'm telling you, that's one of the best things that you can do is you cry out to God and you cry out for help. And it is the, one of the most important things. When that recession hit us 2008, 2009, uh, Elaine and I, you know, we didn't, I don't have a, a retirement, you know, we didn't have a 403. Uh, the church now has a 403, but back then I basically had nothing. And there were some guys that were flipping houses and they kind of coached me and I bought a couple of houses that, you know, I bought them on credit and they were, you know, fairly inexpensive. And I bought these houses and, uh, you know, I put new roofs on them and we painted them inside and out and just about ready to put them up for sale when the recession came and crashed I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you and they were worth 35% less than when I had bought them for so I could flip them but I would lose a ton of money and I went back to these guys and I said what do I do and they said oh you just became a landlord you know and Elaine was like, ah, oh, being a landlord. So we, you know, you had payments and we, you know, you, you, you have this debt on you. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was me. I don't know if it was her. It was probably her that said, we need to go to God because we're in trouble. We are in trouble. So we cried out to God and said, you've got to help us. You've got to help us. And here's some of the things that I think help when you are in debt. Uh, we weren't in drowning debt, but we were in debt, and we were upside down on these mortgages. Number two, figure out what you have. Figure out what you have. Uh, notice uh, Elisha says, what do you have in the house? What do you have? And she says, I don't have anything. And many times when you're in drowning debt, you don't feel like you have anything. You, you, you feel helpless and hopeless. And you, you, sometimes you, get, you freeze. You don't know what to do. It's just so terrible. And you've got creditors coming at you. What do you do? And the first thing to do is take an inventory, figure out what you do have. And she says, I don't have anything except, she just remembers, small jar of oil. So number three, get going. Get going. Um, Verse 3, it says, Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask just for a few. Verse 4, then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour the oil into all the jars until each is filled and put it to one side. And so this is the idea of go. And I put the thing, get going. If you're in debt, you've got to act like you're a gazelle and you're on the Serengeti and a pride of lions is after you and they're going to eat you and they're going to devour you and debt will devour you so you just run like crazy and you start whatever you need to do a second job uh, working smarter you know you cut back on what uh, you don't really need you cut back on your on your budget as much as you can you pare down you do everything you can 
oh, by the way, if you don't have a budget, you get a budget. And that's the other thing we did when we went through this. Uh, we were starting financial peace at Bethany. And the person who runs financial peace came to me and said, Pastor, I, I know you don't need financial peace. <laughs> uh, but we want you to uh, go to it so that you can tell people about it. I said, sure, I'll be happy to. So Elaine and I went to Financial Peace, and you know they had some really good recommendations. And some of the stuff I'm telling you comes from that. And it's not the only program. You know, there's all kinds of programs, and the best program on getting out of debt and having a budget and getting your finances right side up is the one that you use. Okay, so you don't have to use Financial Peace. You can use another one. You can use Ron Blue or you can use other ones. You, you could go to a parents or you could go to someone really wise in our church that knows finances. You know, whatever actually works. But we went to Financial Peace and we started doing some stuff. And uh, uh, the next thing we did is number four is ask God to stretch your resources. Uh, verse 5, uh, she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. And so the resources were stretched by God. And when I was um, a first senior pastor, uh, we were in this small church that uh, when I went there, they said there was 50, and then it went down to 35. And I told the story before, and then uh, eight months later, they were down to 19. Three of them were my, my family. And so, you know, we were so poor. And, and we had a baby on the way. It was the second one. We didn't have much finances. And I had a prayer partner, this guy named Bill. He just was getting ready to retire. And he says, I'll meet with you. Every time in town on Monday, I'll meet with you and we'll pray. And as we were praying, you know, I would pray some of my concerns. And he says, you know what you need to do? And we talked about this and other scriptures. And he talked about asking God to stretch your dollars. And when I first heard that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my early 30s. And taking, you know, wise counsel from someone in your 60s, sometimes they use expressions that just seem weird. Stretch your dollars. You're going to take a dollar bill and stretch it. It's paper. It doesn't stretch. But it's kind of amazing when he started saying that and we started praying, God, stretch your dollars, how God stretched our dollars. And every month we were able to pay our bills and we were able to uh, give a tithe to the Lord and we were able to do all the things that were necessary to do. So this is the idea that you ask God to stretch your resources, stretch your dollars. And then number five is have faith. Notice when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. So for the widow, the measure of the widow's faith is by the number of jars she collected. And I don't know how you measure faith, but when it comes to finances and getting out of debt, uh, for Christians and for people who are coming to the Lord, trusting him, having faith that he can take us out of debt and provide, I think is the number one thing that you have to do. That even when it looks bleak and hopeless, that you have faith that God is able. And then number six is pay your debts. Look at verse 7. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. 
And uh, this is the idea that you pay your debts. And when we took that, that class, uh, one of the things they teach is the snowball method of paying off debt. And the idea is that you take your, your smallest debt and you pay it off first so that you have a victory. So you pay that off first, then you take on another one, you take on another one, and you take on another one, and it just begins to snowball as you begin to pay off debt. And one of the things that I learned really early, and I learned it from my wife, because she is way better in finance than I am. She probably should be the one teaching this lesson. And that is that um, you, you, you don't want to go in debt on depreciating assets. You don't want to go on debt on credit cards and, and consumer goods and um, cars and boats and all the toys that men like, you know. You, you don't want to go to debt on those kind of things. And, and I know people disagree with me, and I know that there's businessmen that said there is good debt. And if you have to go into debt, I would say appreciating assets or assets that most of the time appreciate uh, and that is, you know, uh, houses, you know, uh, those kind of things have a, a tendency to appreciate. So you can uh, go into debt on those, but you also want to get out of debt as fast as you can. And then number seven, verse seven, she went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. And that's the idea that you live within your means, that you, you live on what's left, you know, you you. You pay your debts, and then you live off the rest. And that's really hard to do. And I, I uh, want you to know that you probably need to make a budget. Um, my wife, uh, for years, has always said, I don't believe in a budget. And when we went to um, FPU, Financial Peace University, uh, you know, one of the things Elaine said, you know, is I, I don't believe in a budget. You know, I won't do a budget. And I'm looking at her like, what? What do you mean you won't do a budget? And because I knew she had a budget. She says, no, I, I, I go by priorities. I do not go by budget. And then the leader of it says, well, you have a priority budget. That's as, that's as good a budget as any. That's the best one of all. And Elaine, you know, has this, this priority. First of all, we pay God. You know, we pay our tithes, especially being a leader of the church. I've got to do that. And then, and then second, you, we pay the mortgage. And then third, you pay your utilities. And then you just go so forth and so on down the thing. But she never budgeted money for food. And she never budgeted money for clothing. She would never say, oh, I have a $200 budget for clothing. If we couldn't afford clothing, we didn't get it or we went to Value Village. And, you know, we went to consignment places. And when it came to food, we went through a period when we were so poor that uh, we only had rice and beans and noodles you know, in our house, and we had a little bit of oil like this lady, and, and then we had onions. And if you have onions and noodles, maybe a little bit of butter and milk or oil and milk and pepper, you can have the greatest meals in the world, you know. When we were first married, I went from 165 to 195 because we were poor, and I mostly ate noodles and rice and beans. And I want you to know you can survive, and you don't need to have a food budget, and you don't need to even have a clothing budget. And I should have said all that step down here because that's my opinion. Because a bunch of you are saying that's not how I do money, and that's okay because money is personal. But I, I, I don't know you so I'm talking about me because I know me better. Does that make sense? You guys didn't laugh at that. So 
Let me give you what I've been teaching uh, for, for years and years, uh, and I still holds true, and I, I don't back down from this. And this is um, you give, save, and you live on the rest. We give to God first, we save second, and then we live on the rest. And usually I, I put it this way, that we give to God, you know, the first fruits. And, you know, that's the, the 10%, the first thing in the month. You give your 10% to the Lord. And then you save 10%. And then you live on 80%. And we've done that for so long. And I teach that all the time. And I know there's a lot of people that have a different formula. I know there's uh, one pastor that recently retired you know, Pastor Dave, and he says, uh, George, you got to redo that one because you really should be saying, you know, give the Lord 10% and then you, you save 20%. You know, he thinks people should save 20%. But, you know, he's an accountant. He's got a, you know, really engineer brain. And 20% would be really good. So whatever you can do, you save and then you live on the rest. And the reason it works is when people were in debt back in 2008, 2009, yeah, a lot of Americans were living above 100%. They were living, they were at 100% of their salaries or their money coming in, and they were living at 101%, 102%, even 103%. So when the recession came and went down terrible, they ended up being in terrible, lost their homes, lost their businesses because they were up here and they got whacked down to here. But if you give to the Lord first and you save second and you're used to living on 80%, when you get whacked down 20%, you know, it doesn't hurt you because you're already used to living down here. Now, I know if, this, if you're hearing this for the first time, it's like, well, that, that, that would be wonderful, but I just don't think it's possible. Well, let me just keep going. Uh, give, save, live on the rest. So we have a give first God. We have a give first God for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And there's verse after verse after verse of all the gifts that God gives us. And so this is the idea that he is a, he is a give first God and we respond second and we want to be a, a give first church. And uh, we give to God first to honor God. We give second to create margin, and we learn to live on the rest so that we learn to be content. That's one of the most important things. And so we give, save, live on the rest, and we just talk about give. We give to God first to honor God so that we give, and I've talked about this before, time, talent, treasure, testimony, and touch. So that we give time. Uh, we give time to the Lord. We give time to the kingdom of God. And we give our talents and our gifts. And then we give our treasure. You know, we give back to the Lord, you know, some of what he's given to us. And for me, as a leader in the church, I need to be above 10%. I have a pastor friend that calls 10% training wheels. If you're drowning in debt, if you give back to the Lord 1%, if you start at 1% or 2%, that would be amazing. But as you get out of debt, you start giving and giving and becoming more generous. And then testimony is you're a generous person when you tell someone else about God. When you tell someone else about Christ, when you share the gospel with someone, when you give your testimony, when we saw people getting baptized, they're testifying that God has been in their life and there's been a change. And so that is part of our generosity. 
and then touch. Touch is where we do things that are beyond us. And we touch people for eternity. That we touch children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren because they're going to be in eternity and we go beyond ourselves. And everyone I ever talk to when I talk about touch and we touch lives, that is one of the most important things. And one of the, one of the most wonderful things about Appreciation uh, Sunday last week was I got all these notes and I had so many people that were saying, you touched my life, you touched me, you, you touched my life, Pastor George. You know, I was like, oh, I'm so humbled by that. It's just kind of a, amazing. It's really God who does it. But we want to be a part of his kingdom program where we live beyond ourselves and do things greater than we could ever imagine. And then we save. Uh, we save second to create margin. And margin reduces stress and worry. One of the first things they talk about is baby steps in financial peace. And one of them is setting aside $1,000 so that you have an emergency fund. So as you're trying to knock off debt, if an emergency comes along, you have money already set aside. And then beyond that, a margin for a lot of people is having three months uh, salary, three months of the money that you bring in set aside so that if something comes along and we have a recession or you lose your job or there's a health problem, you have three months that can pay your bills. And some of the experts out there are now saying you should have six months. Which Some of you are just shaking your head saying this is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. But if you give first and save second, you can start accomplishing some of those things and having margin. And, and I want you to know my wife loves having margin. She loves being generous and she loves having margin. And then the next one is to live on the rest. And the live on the rest teaches us uh, to be content. First Timothy 6, 6 says, but uh, godliness when contentment is great gain. It's great gain. So let me finish by telling you what I want for you, what your pastor wants for you. Number one, I, I want you to live with the capacity to be generous. That we're a generous church. This is the most generous church I've ever been involved with. And I, I want to be a generous pastor, and I want my generosity to be in all those areas. But I want for you the joy and the ability to be generous more than you ever thought you could. The second thing I would want for you is for you to live with no debt to absolutely live with no debt. One of the things that we did in FPU is, you know, we learned about, you know, you try to get loans. If you have a, an appreciating asset like a house, is you try to get the, the shortest loan possible, like a 15-year loan. If not, you have a 30-year loan, you start paying it off like it's 15 or as much as you can. And so we just kept paying and paying and trying to get out of debt. And we paid our house off. And it, it was wonderful. It frees up and makes us a lot more generous. And if I could have anything for you, is that you become to the point of having no debt. Absolutely no debt. Some of you are rolling your eyes. I know some of you say, I'm never coming back to this church because this is just crazy. But if I could have anything for you, I would have it that you're generous and you have a, gen a generosity in your life. And the second thing I would want for you is that you live without any debt, any debt except to love others. 
And then I would want you to live with contentment and thanksgiving. Contentment and thanksgiving. And I've not always lived a contentment life. You know, when I'm living in the flesh, especially when I was younger, I wanted cars and, you know, things that depreciated and toys. And as I've gotten older, you know, I am so happy to drive cars that are old. And I drive the best car I've ever had. I drive a Lexus, a, a SUV Lexus. It is beautiful, has leather seats. It has air conditioning. It has heated seats. If I want to tease Elaine, I turn her up, you know, and she can't stand it, but I love it. And it's, it's a 2007. And I bought it, you know, uh, you know, very, very used. And I drive used cars. And one of the best things, I've told you this before, one of the best things about driving uh, used cars is I never have to worry about the color because God picks the color because it's a used car. You never have to worry about what, what's going to come with the car because it comes with it, you know. And you never have to worry about the, the first scratch. I just love that. I remember buying a new car, being in debt, and then someone bangs it, you know, with a grocery cart, you know, and you're just like, ah. And now, you know, my cars are all scratched up, you know, and I don't have to worry about it. And if someone scratches it, oh, don't worry about it. And I want you to know there's freedom in not having car loans and, you know, driving. You may not drive the best car in the world, but if it gets from A to B and it's paid off, that's a luxury item that they don't talk about very often. I want this for you. I don't want something from you. I want those three things for you. I don't want something from you. I want those three things for you. And I always want to get something practical when I talk about this. We went and talked to the financial peace leader. It started a couple weeks ago. And this Sunday... Um, is the third week and we said if we had some people that are drowning in debt and they hear this message and they want to try to see something change and cry out to God and take some first steps uh, would you would you catch them up and let them come to your class this Sunday and he said yes and they meet on Sunday we would love to have you join it even if it's late we would love to have you join it amen Okay, stand with me. Let me pray for you, and uh, we will, um, we will uh, sing a last song. Father God, just thank you so much for each person here. Thank you for how you work in our lives. We pray that you would uh, send us forth. We pray that you would help people that are struggling with uh, finances, that you would lift them out, that we can cry to you, that we would see uh, wonderful things happen. We also thank you for the people who have their finances under control. Thank you for the generosity in this church. Thank you for how you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.